So, this is officially Tampa Tantrum starting. That bit of chatting stuff is kind of us doing what we do in the Talking nonsense. Talking nonsense. But this is our first speaker, Please and do. it's always really exciting Please to do. get this first speaker up and uh, get Some it all it, started. Yes. Yeah, so we've got a, we got a bit, uh, big lump of people watching online. Lots yes. of people talk, crowds building here, so uh, we're excited to get this going. Um, okay, it's going to be <laughs> 10 people throughout the week. We're really excited about this, and uh, we've got a great one to start off with as well. We have. So, uh, Corey uh, comes from CK Coffee. In Berlin. In Berlin. Which is um, probably becoming one of the kind of specialty coffee cities. There is a real kind of vibe coming out of Berlin, um, and I've not been, but I really want to. Um, we should do Tamper Tantrum. We there, should right? definitely do Tamper Tantrum. If only somebody could organise it for us, that would be great. Um, so, without further ado, please, a big round of applause for Corey and Dean of CK Coffee, Berlin. Woo. Okay, hello everybody. Am I talking too loud? Is this good? It's good, natural voice? All right. Um, so, today I'd like to talk about tasting coffee critically. Well, we talk a lot about what coffee tastes like, but no one really talks about how to taste it. Um, so, let's discuss the way in which your approach to tasting determines the quality of your product. Now, tasting is cheap, it's pretty easy, and for our segment of the industry, taste is the point. But for a segment filled with so many passionate people who are supposed to consistently deliver something delicious, not very many of us are effective tasters. And for many, tasting doesn't seem to land high enough on the list of priorities. As a result, coffee is not tasting as good as it should. And this is a problem. For customers, they're more likely to judge us based on our worst coffees than our best. And from their perspective, we're really not any better than our worst cups of coffees. So without question, the defining force behind a delicious cup of coffee are its raw ingredients. And there is a lot of done work to be done at Origin and with green in general, but I'd like to focus on destination. I'm pretty sure that most of the people in the audience today are working at this point when coffee has been purchased, but is being roasted and inevitably brewed. So, for the sake of argument, we're going to assume everyone is sourcing tasty, fresh crop coffees, because that's what you should be doing. So, as the owner of a specialty shop, I'm constantly cupping to compare the styles of different roasters and their coffees. And as a coffee lover, most of my days off and even vacations are spent visiting other shops and tasting their brews. Unfortunately, these experiences have been overwhelmingly underwhelming. As a result, to unpleasant flavors, or due to unpleasant flavors imparted by roast or brew, and ultimately a failure to taste them on the part of those responsible. And I realize that for a lot of people, tasting can be intimidating. But it doesn't have to be. And I believe that through simplified, focused tasting, it should be easy for everyone to maintain and even considerably improve quality. So let's talk about how to do that. Let's talk about 
becoming a more effective taster the quick and easy way. Part one, cupping. So what, what do you pay attention to when cupping? What are you looking for? Are you looking for something specific or do you just wait for something to happen? And these are important questions to ask yourself because everyone should have two fundamentally different approaches to cupping. Now, most of them seem to go the same way. A group of people slurps its way through any number of cups, trading fanciful flavor descriptors and talking about what they like best in each coffee. And this is the top-down approach, where each coffee is evaluated for its most desirable qualities. And this is fine. It's a great way to taste with customers or to come up with text for new bag labels, things like that. But for any roaster or retailer, these customer sessions should be well outnumbered by cuppings that fall into a general category of quality assessment. And for the specialty industry, quality assessment is really important. As I said before, taste is the point of our business. And if we're not tasting to assess the quality of our coffees, there's no way of being sure we truly deserve the label specialty. So to effectively evaluate the quality of your specialty coffee, you need a different approach. So evaluating the quality requires a really critical view of the coffee. And this is where we run into a problem, because we specialty coffee folks seem to have a chronic aversion to criticism. But criticism, and especially self-criticism, are absolutely necessary for progression in any human endeavor. So when tasting for quality, start from the bottom up. Look first and foremost for any faults in the coffee, for what doesn't work. You know, uh, this is the same approach that Tamper Tantrum has taken this year. Anyone who tried to watch from home last year was presented with a superb lineup of speakers, but a video quality so poor as to make it nearly unwatchable. And Colin and Steve realized, of course, that if the video wasn't watchable at home, the entire format kind of falls on its face. So they worked hard to make sure it hopefully doesn't happen again this year. Now, if they hadn't learned any lessons from last year, they might have spent a little more time finding a better speaker than myself, but the video quality would still be so crappy as to make the talks unwatchable. So thanks, guys. And just like Tamper Tantrum needs to be watchable to work, our coffees need to first and foremost be drinkable. And to do this, you need the bottoms-up approach. Effective evaluation really needs to start looking at what doesn't work before anything else. Talking about what we like about our coffees is a fruitless exercise if we're not paying attention to what doesn't taste good. But unfortunately, I see this happening all the time. You know, and I understand. Green coffee is a huge investment for any roaster, especially a small one. And everyone wants those tasty, fresh crop flavors they paid a premium for to shine. But customers don't know this. Customers don't know to look for sweetness and acidity and will instead be put off by a grassy astringency or ashy aftertaste that are so commonly overlooked at the cupping table. So this really critical perspective is crucial. And it's a lot easier than coming up with flavor descriptors for your coffees. So anyone can do it. And I think it's best done in stages. When tasting a coffee, I think first, what would keep me from drinking a sip of this coffee? And, and yeah, if the answer is immediately apparent that I don't want a sip of this coffee, it's not good. 
From there, I move on to what would keep me from drinking a cup, and finally, what would keep me from drinking a bucket of this coffee. And hopefully, the answer to each of these questions is nothing. Nothing would keep me from drinking cup after cup after cup, bucket after bucket of this coffee. Hopefully, the coffee just makes me want to keep drinking it until I lose my mind. You know, and time after time, my favorite coffees are the ones I want to drink by the bucket. And I think this is huge for a flavor-driven industry. Moorishness is a great indicator of tastiness. So, if we want customers to drink our coffees by the bucket, they have to be Moorish. And how do we accomplish this? Well, aftertaste is the driver of Moorishness, and it also happens to be where the quality of a roast makes itself most apparent. So, it's a great place to start examining the drinkability of any coffee. Now, from time to time, you encounter one that is. Not very nice, gross even from the very first moment. But I find that with the tasty fresh cup coffees, if you roast for a delicious aftertaste, the rest starts to take care of itself. So, with the basic bottoms-up approach in mind, there are a couple other tools that will help you taste more effectively. One, cup blind. When assessing flavor, it's really crucial to have an open mind, and prejudice only gets in the way of this and will slow you down. Two, don't only compare your own coffees to each other. You know, frequently cup them alongside as many other coffees as you can get your hands on. This will help prevent tunnel vision, which is another thing which will only slow you down. Unless, of course, you're Tim Wendelboe looking for a mate in a club full of unattractive women. So, that's what you said last year. <laughs> um, So, really, like it's it's not that hard to cup for what doesn't taste good in your coffees. It's really a lot easier than being overwhelmed trying to come up with terms like elderflower, cherry pie, spring meadow, things like that. Think about what you don't like in your coffees, because at the end of the day, we're all in the business of flavor, and by improving our least tasty coffees. And focusing on Moorishness, it's a surefire way to win new customers and respect in the culinary world at large. You know, being critical is a crucial part of this equation, and I, I advocate an industry-wide feedback loop because every critical input is an opportunity to learn. So, the next time someone who's roasted or brewed your coffee asks how you liked it, tell them what you liked about it. But you shouldn't shy away from telling them anything you didn't like about it. You know, I know that I will be very grateful for that input, and anyone who's seriously devoted to quality will as well. Thank you very much. Wow, what a way to start! Right, well stiff as a board, blasting right through the whole time. You are awesome. Yeah. You're awesome. You deserve a sit down. Yeah, please. A big topic, like I don't. I, when I saw you were talking about taste, I was just like, "Whoa! How do you like? Which angle do you come at? Because there are so, so many things, uh, so many ways to come, come at it." You were saying in there about that. You know, I was interested in the cupping blind thing, and I think this is something that you know, if if you are quality focused and trying to be objective, it's something you do. Um, is there ever a time that you would cup 
and know what you were cupping and actually look at it? Do you see benefits in that for, say, somebody who's new to cupping or, you know, or would you always cup blind? I prefer to cup blind all the time just because it's, you know, it leaves your mind most open to what's going to come. And we can also discuss the half of my speech that I left out, which okay. was about brewing. Excellent. Well, we, yeah. we, we, we definitely will. So, like, talk us through, um, like, the, the process of how you cup coffees at your place. Like, do you do it weekly? Do you do it, like, every two weeks? Or is it every day? Or No, we, we do uh, cuppings with customers at least weekly. And then, um, yeah, for our own purposes, generally every other day. And, uh, and where are you sourcing your coffees from as well? Is it coming from many different sources or is it just the one? Um, well, we've been using filtered coffee from Soberg and Hansen since December. Um, and our espresso coffee has been coming from Five Elephant for about the same time period. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we try to constantly cup as much stuff as we can get our hands on just to make sure that we're you know, so getting the best coffee. So are, are you cupping coffees that, are, that have arrived, that, that you've already bought, or are you, are you cupping coffees and then deciding what you're going to buy from those samples? Both. Both? Yeah. Okay, and how often does it arise that you, you have a coffee, you bought it and you're cupping it, and you're like, this isn't good, I'm sending it back. And how do you deal with that? Um, luckily, not very often. Uh, you know, that's Soberg and Hansen and Five Elephant have been really great about that. In the past, We've had a lot of unfortunate instances, instances where the coffee just wasn't good, and then you're sitting there scratching your head thinking, yeah, how do I get rid of this? It's a difficult conversation to have. I think like we've had a conversation with a customer who wanted to send something back, and we had a cupping session with them, and we cup it, and we're like, this is really excellent. Right. And they're saying it's not. And it's like, that's a really difficult question to, to answer. So I think you get through it on the basis of a, of a relationship. And it, it's really cheesy to come back to it all the time, but without that really strong relationship between a roaster and uh, or, or a coffee supplier and the coffee that it's going to, um, it, it's really difficult to pull it off. No, absolutely, absolutely. It's also hard, you know, in the coffee world, everyone is has something they're aiming for and has a vision for their coffee, and so sometimes it's it's hard to be able to have that frank conversation where you say, "I don't like this," but the other person says, "Well, that's what I think it should be." Yeah. Um, but but that's where I think the kind of constructive criticism comes in. Um, especially when you just say, I don't like this, it's not very helpful. And it's much more helpful to say, well, this is what I'm tasting, and this is kind of what I'm not a fan of. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of came across a similar situation where we got a customer that doesn't like naturals, had ordered a natural, the taste descriptors were very obviously a natural, and I don't like it. Well, okay, you, you, it's, is that what you tasted on then? It was like, yeah. I was like, okay, well, we'll take it back, but you know, don't order stuff that, and that's you know, and I don't think that's you can't fair. you can't make you can't make something it isn't you know, right. right? And that's and that's also not what I'm talking about. I'm kind of, I'm thinking not about what the coffee tastes like on its own, but more you know every step in the coffee production chain is a step of not screwing something up, and it's it's really really difficult to not screw it up, and that's and that's more what I'm talking about. Being critical of the times we screw up, and being willing willing to face that. And, and improve for the future. Yeah, like I think the beauty of doing these talks is that we always just get to nick ideas and, and methods off people. And there's one thing that I got to take away today from listening to you is the idea of like starting at, at the bottom up and saying like, what do I not like about this coffee? And it kind of resonated with me because sometimes you find yourself drinking coffees and saying, oh, there's wonderful kind of like floral notes off this or like really nice kind of a fruity edge to it. And you, 
you might be ignoring that astringency in the back or you might be ignoring right. the lack of sweetness in there and it's it, it is very often easy to get distracted by coffees that have very wow things up front and nothing really backing them up yeah i'm also i'd, I'd say most of the coffees i'm served at other shops are under extracted which which is no fun because it's true they do start off full of sweetness and acidity but the the flavor flat lines and eventually you're just left with this sourish hollow aftertaste and, and you just want to drink a cup of water rather yeah. than another cup of coffee and the, i don't know maybe this is just how i see it but i was like i see i definitely see a, a progression towards people using coffees that are for filter that you can get away with under extracting things like like washed yogurt chefs kenyans uh in, a, in filter coffee kind of like people get so overawed by the floral notes and the, and the fruitiness up front that it already forgives the uh, the lack of body oh it's a light coffee anyway it's like no it's just under extracted yeah i was interested in what you were saying about uh, your experiences in other shops as well that you go into are often disappointing and you say you're under extraction are there other things that you kind of spot that other people are doing badly you you mentioned the cut out the brewing part of there is that on, on, honestly, no. I'm I'm a very forgiving consumer of coffee. I'd say, like I, I you know, it doesn't have to blow my mind, but I'd, I find it a bit unforgiving if the if I'm drinking a coffee that just makes me want to to rinse away that taste with with something else. So just on that, um, Berlin. So, how good is Berlin? We hear a lot about it in Dublin, but go on, be critical. Um, there's a lot of variety, which is nice. And when I say a lot of variety, it's it's really only sped, spread around a handful of shops. Maybe it's a, it's a big city. Like what's the population of Berlin? A lot. Well, a ballpark. It's a like lot. eight million. Three million. Three million. No, okay. it's not that much. Okay, three million. Yeah. Yeah. That's like Ireland. Yes. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what do you think has made like because let's be honest germany two three years ago was not on a coffee map at all like there was a, a small group of people talking amongst themselves but now people talk about berlin as the destination city what do you think sparked that what's the reason for berlin becoming this place um i don't know i think it's been interesting that there's you know as opposed to a city like london where square mile definitely helped drive the coffee culture there because people look to it um, and we're using the coffee left and right. In Berlin, there, there, no one has really arisen as a driving roaster behind the specialty movement. So everyone is coming from different places. In fact, it's, it's I'd say for, for at least half of the, the specialty cops are expat run. Um, I heard this about, like, because um, you guys probably don't know this, so there's some of the worst of 3FE from us, uh, for us, Jan Chalmers has come from, uh, Kindly recommended by Corey here. Thanks for that, by the way. Uh, so, uh, but he um, he was saying that a lot of the specialty coffs are English speaking. Yeah, like that's is, true. Is that difficult for most German people to get their heads around? Or? It's yeah, it's bizarre. There's there seems to be a difficult a difficulty in finding German baristas and even German speaking baristas is pretty is pretty tricky. Um, and then you know you have loads of Kiwis and Australians just right off the airplane saying, I know how to make a. I'm not going to do my Australian <laughs> accent on the internet, but um, it stops Steve from doing it. <laughs> in itself. So, so yeah, the shops fill up with these, and I think it's actually more of a hindrance than anything else to most shops because um, you know they they can't communicate with the, the native population, and so with, when you're pushing specialty coffee, it's really important to be able to have a dialogue with the customer when they're like, "This tastes like tea. This tastes like juice. This doesn't taste like coffee." So you need to have someone who's able to to just you know, explain that to people. Because, like, 
in Ireland we have like I think a lot of people have their that kind of I think this is probably true of every country but this very traditional way of making coffee and a lot of your job is trying to twist that but Germany has such like an inherent like coffee culture like, like the amount of like most people grind their own coffee and like everybody has fresh roasted beans you buy in the supermarket I was blown when I was in Germany I couldn't get over how much coffee there was everywhere it was very built into what they do every day of their lives so like trying to change that must be a big task it is a big task it is a big task especially I don't know there's also a tendency for a lot of things a lot of a lot of food and beverage in Germany to be viewed culturally as, as functional of anything else and especially coffee but I think that's a problem faced around the world but in Germany we seem to have you know a special kind of difficulty in changing minds about that I think it's probably a smaller task than converting people from instant to going to buy beans and grinding themselves you know the, if the, the, there's obviously something there that people are appreciating slightly better because the, the, what's instant consumption like in Germany it must be pretty low you're asking the wrong guy yeah, okay. I don't yeah. know yeah, I guess so I guess so so tell me about CK like what what would if I come into the shop what what do I expect what what would you say are the the big features of the sh you know the store like what, what's your focus would you say your, your mantra for the shop the mantra for the shop I guess it's just um, trying to facilitate um, customers tasting without being forced to um, so for instance, when we, when we serve black coffees, espresso and filter, um, it's in whiskey tumblers. And the espresso, or the, the filter comes in decanters as well. Um, and that's just kind of, you know, we realized at some point we were only drinking the coffees out of glasses, wide-rimmed glasses ourselves to evaluate flavor because it drops the temperature down and, you know, you can really get in there. Um, so we wanted to share this kind of experience with customers and rather than tell them wait until it's cooled down to drink it you know give it to them in a way where it's you know when, when you drink a whiskey you're, you're not first tempted to pour milk or sugar in it either your first attempt is just stick your nose in there yeah. um, and it's great we've had a really great reaction from customers because of that because they're you know at first they're um, a bit confused and that's the goal as well if you just serve someone a drink in ceramic cup um, you shouldn't be surprised that they go through their normal ritual of putting whatever additives into it, but presenting it in a way where they're just more naturally wanting to to take a sip. That's great. Um, oh, and kind of like barista competition is something that you know, like we hang around a lot and very focused on. In German, the German barista championships, what what's the quality like in the the? Because it, it didn't happen this year at all, did it? It didn't happen at all this year. No, we had um, our national coordinator stepped down in October, and up until a couple of weeks ago, we didn't have a new one. Okay. Um, but there's a new there's a new SCA structure in place now in Germany, and there will be championships for next year in mid September. So okay, so you'll, you'll definitely have a national champion next year. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I, um, that must be really hard, though, as somebody that's obviously pushing pushing the boundaries of specialty in your your domain. But you know, the SCAE hasn't kind of supported what what you're trying to do. I mean, that must be frustrating. It's a bit frustrating. You know, there was a there was a group of us who were trying to to make competitions happen um, in time for uh, for the worlds this year, um, but it just it just didn't happen. Especially because you really need to work through the SCAE channel. And it costs a lot of money. It invariably does, definitely. 
should we start, maybe try to get some questions for the audience as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I'll dive down and, and see if we have any questions. Would anybody like to ask Corey a question while he's uh, here on stage? Come on, somebody must have a question. Looking at us black. Yay! Yes. Yep. Did you did you raise your sales on black coffee, like filter coffees, when you? Uh, Can you start over? I'm sorry. Did it increase your sales when you switched to decanters and glasses for filter coffees, um, or how did it affect your sales? I'd say switching to decanters didn't have a huge increase in sales immediately, but it definitely changed the dialogue we have with customers in a big way. Um, and people really started taking more notice of the filter coffee. And it's also great because with the decanters, even any customer in the shop who hasn't ordered an espresso or filter coffee, you know, sits up and pays attention when the person next to them receives that as their beverage. And then, you know, they start looking from their ceramic latte cup over to the, the nice decanter and just kind of, uh, yeah, you definitely see it sparks more of an interest with people. I think in, a, in our context, I was, I was kind of get, uh, it's kind of nice to see how people come in to see the shop and they go, oh, this is, this is like just a coffee shop for normal people. And I go, yeah, that's what it does. Yeah. And then they're really surprised by it. So like, what's your split of, let's say, coffee experience seekers and just give me a cup of coffee seekers? Hard to say, hard to say. Probably still, it's still a slight majority of people who just want to come and get a nicer coffee, yeah. you know? And um, that's the, is that what you want? Like, is is your goal for everybody to come in and to examine the coffees, or do you want people to just come in and enjoy I, a coffee experience? I just want people to come enjoy a coffee experience, and I just can. I, and I'm, you know, my goal is to make that as pleasurable as possible. You know, and I want the coffee to taste good, and I like I like the way we serve it because it also encourages us to make sure it tastes good. Because if it doesn't, it's cooled down, and people will immediately taste that the coffee was not brewed well. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it's just kind of about encouraging people to have this kind of nice coffee experience without necessarily being forced to either. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And I, like, I think so. A lot of you hear a lot of baristas saying that they want the customers to engage them more and they need to talk them more about the coffee and where it comes from and all that. And I always say to them, like, just be careful what you wish for because that is exhausting. Like, if all your customers are asking questions all the time, it's like, oh my god, not this again, you know. So, be careful what you wish for. I think it's like we. I'd say probably ours maybe. 5% of customers will be like really interested in talking and tasting and all that kind of stuff. And that's that's a nice percentage, I think. It it's is nice. nice. It keeps it interesting, but you can then disappear behind the machine for a few hours afterwards as well. Yeah, but still, behind the counter, you're a captive audience. So if you get anyone too interested in uh, in asking questions, you can't, you can't escape. Exactly. It's always interesting when Colin's working bar and like somebody just like latches on and it's like, he cannot they, they, get they, away. Yeah, they just give me you a machine mine. that isn't plugged in there when I just do it at the back and they try to pretend I'm helping. Do you have any more questions here? The no? So we shall go to our Breville questions. So Breville are the sponsors of the online uh, Tampa Tantrum uh, stuff. They kind of made this stuff happen. So we have questions from people around the world that are asking Corey. It's ask Corey, we shall call this section. <laughs> so the first question is, how important is water in your coffee? And that comes from Daniel Maynell in the UK. Uh, how important is water in your coffee? Well, most coffees are about 98% water, so it's it's huge. It's huge. We actually just um, we recently had uh, a new 3M RO system installed at the shop, and the first couple of days it was a nightmare. 
especially the, the first day we had to shut down filter coffee brewing because the the water was just it was way too hard so anyone who like yeah. doesn't know RO, it's reverse osmosis where they take everything out of the water and then you put the things back in. And, yeah. um, so and it's it's a complicated way of stabilizing your water, but but very effective. Yeah. Uh, what was your target for water? Going just just trying to get to 150, but yeah. Berlin. What 50? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Berlin's well. I would like to go lower than that, but we have a hard time with it because Berlin water runs about 450 wow. out of the tap. Yeah, okay. it's it's very tasty water. It's old ice age glacier deposits, but it's been lying under the bedrock for yeah. thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So yeah. it's really hard. Like for context in Dublin, we have like the last time I checked on Wednesday was like ninety seven. Ninety. Oh, that sounds really nice. Yeah. Stream water. That's really <laughs> nice. Um, so. Uh, what, what did you do when, when the, you had to close down the bar? What did, how did well, I'm actually still the three uh, 3M is is being nice enough to come by at the beginning of July and uh, and have a sit down session because it's still it's still not getting to the point I want. I have the bypass valve turned all the way, which means the water should be coming out at about zero ppm, but it's still it's still over 200. Really, most days, yeah. So I think for Daniel, we can kind of say water's quite it's important. It's really important, and I'd say it's my biggest headache. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those things that it's almost ignorance is bliss. You kind of <laughs> you talk to people like, oh, I've never really talked about the water, and you're yeah. like, okay. Well, it's uh, funny though, but talking about Berlin coffee shops, most of them have a really distinctive flavor in the coffee where the chalkiness comes through. Yeah, no matter what, there's there are only a couple other RO systems being used, and for the most part, everyone else just you can you can almost chew the coffee sometimes. Wow. So our next online question is. Does your mood affect your ability to taste coffee? And that comes from Cindy Dari of USA. Does my mood, well, if by mood you mean have I tasted so much coffee already that I just don't care what it tastes like anymore and... Warm, warm. So like, um, I, I was talking to John Gordon at Square Mile and he was saying that he started to monitor people's moods in terms of their cupping scores. Right. And when they're in a good mood, the cupping scores went up. And when they're in a bad mood, the cupping scores went down. And it's quite it. interesting, yeah. I actually, I, am, I, I try to, when I'm working, I spit everything out. I try not to drink coffee days when I'm working bar. Um, and I just, it's kind of gross, but I have a big black spitting bucket. And I, I taste constantly, but I spit it all out. Because the more coffee I consume as well, the more, yeah, the more it gets in my way, the more, it messes the more with stuff my you knock over, yep. the more you kind of get 20 sentences into a story with your customer and realize they don't care. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of lucky because I'm always miserable, so it always tastes the same. My mood is always black, so everything is stabilized. I've took away a variable by being miserable. So, Cindy, yeah, well, it sounds like John says yes. Corey says, does it affect... I'd say, I'd yeah. say yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a yes, it does affect can mood. Be, mood can be distracting. It's but when you're dealing with customers, it's almost uh, inverted because if you find somebody who is like clearly having a bad day and you make them great coffee, it's like it's something awakens in them. Suddenly you're like their savior. So I think yeah. it's, a, it's almost backwards for them. So on our next question is, which is the last question, where do you think Berlin ranks in terms of cities known for their specialty coffee? And that comes from Jill Beck in Ireland. Oh. I'd say that's tough to say since I live in Berlin. I don't really know what the outside opinion is of it. Um, 
I think you've got a chance to define it, there, don't you? Well, I really, what I really, really appreciate about the coffee scene in Berlin is that, you know, everyone's using different coffees. So you can go go from shop to shop. You can have stuff from Drop Coffee in Sweden alongside a Berlin roaster. Um, you can have Square Mile. Uh, there was one place for a while that was importing Stumptown. Another one for bringing in Intelligentsia. Um, just really, some, sometimes it's things where you wonder what people are thinking, but it's, it's still really nice to have the opportunity to, to go around and really try out, yeah, styles of different roasters. I must uh, admit, that's something I love in London now, is that they, they, there is more diversity more and more yeah. coming in. You can, yeah, like I did a tour of five shops and had five very different coffees from very different roasters. Um, and, and it's great when you can have that range. There was a time where there was one or two roasters and that was it. So it's nice that the, the, there's more and more people. I think variety definitely helps a city. Absolutely, absolutely. So ranking, I mean, I, I personally see it as somewhere that is definitely coming up and he's being mentioned more and more when I'm talking to people about, you know, cities that are doing great coffee. Berlin comes into the conversation, whereas, as I said earlier, two or three years ago, I don't think it was. I don't think it was somewhere that got mentioned. So um, if we could... If like we could just send you to a city to go and drink coffee for a week, where would you go? If cost and staff rusting weren't an issue, um, I'm really curious about Seoul. Seoul, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm really curious about what they're doing. Yeah, I think I'd love to get there. and um, Singapore as well as somewhere I'd love to get to as well. Yeah, there. absolutely. But I think uh, yeah, there's definitely uh, a lot happening. At least that we'd I'd love to get to go no, and see. Sure. I, 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 I hadn't really. I, I'm kind of thinking of the the very obvious places, but that would be somewhere very cool. It's uh, I can imagine that would be a real experience. There seems to be a real kind of buzz there as well, and a, a yeah. thirst for great coffee there. You know, not not just a desire to do it or a, a bunch of geeks getting together and do, but a, a real hunger to do great coffee, yeah. uh, which is exciting. So Jill, Corey refuses to answer your question. <laughs> Number one. There we go. See that? yeah. That's it. That's it. That's all of our Breville uh, questions. So uh, thank you to Breville, our very kind sponsors. That we don't have to thank them all the time. We can do stuff like that, which is, I think, much better. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think you so. can only clap somebody so many times until you hate them. Definitely. So um, we thanks again to uh, Corey. Uh, one more round of applause, please, for Corey. And. I'm really sorry for leaving out the middle of my speech because uh, I promised there was some really great stuff in there. Well, uh, please give it up for Corey because he's going to do his second no. half. <laughs> so what we're going to do now is we're going to take uh, a few minutes break. Uh, we're going to get me and Colin up here ranting again and hopefully getting some more friends up. And next and up we have... Gwillem. Gwillem Davies, yeah. Gwillem Davies, who... Is he's, be, I, you can see him, he's ready. Yeah, uh, so Gwillem's going to be talking about the... Um, Barista Guild of Europe. And, and he doesn't have good. lipstick on or a dress, which yes. is really good. Yeah, so do come back. Uh, we'll be back on here about 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and uh, do come back, tell your friends, heckle us. And he, he will be amazing as well. He will be amazing, so do come back. One last round of applause for Corey. <laughs> <laughs>